God, those communists are amazing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back again to the Turn Leftist Podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm here again with Cosper, Ward, and Jaron. And again, we have Blaine with us. What's up, Blaine? Hey, how's it going? And then we also Good. still have uh, Caitlin and Cullen from Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner. How are you guys doing? Not good, Mike. Not good. <laughs> we had a real feel of negative 18 this morning. Isn't that awful? Isn't that bad? Oh, you mean the temperature? Yeah. I thought maybe that was like a measure of anal glands or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> up to know, it could be anything. <laughs> oh, that's on the, uh, I don't know, Richter scale of, you know, dog <laughs> that would be the uh, sphincter scale. There you go. That's the joke I was looking for. Thank you. That was really good. <laughs> Uh, so tonight's just going to be mostly a cleanup episode. We're going to try and get to all the stuff that we left out the last two episodes. You know, we were just going to play it by ear with the last episode as far as tying up QAnon. But we had a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk about. Something in the first episode that we briefly got to was the Protocols of Elders of Zion. But I don't think we really, you know, we kind of debunked why it's bullshit to begin with. But we never really tied it to QAnon and mentioned the similarities between that and the Protocols specifically with the blood libel thing. Like we mentioned it briefly, but I feel like we should go into a little more detail just about what that is and how that relates to QAnon. So I want to give that to Jaron uh, since he's the you know resident expert on the protocols. And I'm going to include here a clip from CNN, an interview with Gregory Stanton, who's the founding president of Genocide Watch. And Vice President Mike Pence had to cancel a fundraiser in Montana after it was revealed that the event was being hosted by QAnon supporters. QAnon, you may recall, believes that a secret cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles is kidnapping children and that this whole thing is run by a deep state of rich celebrities and politicians. And joining me now to talk about uh, really the origins of this is the founding president of Genocide Watch, Gregory Stanton. Um, Gregory, thank you for being with us. You wrote a very interesting article explaining how QAnon is a Nazi cult rebranded. Explain this to us. Thank you for having me on, Brianna. When I saw the, the conspiracy theory that QAnon was putting forward, uh, the one that you've just uh, talked about, I said, I've seen this one before. This is the protocols of the elders of Zion. This is the most effective anti-Jewish pamphlet ever published. It was a fraudulent uh, pamphlet invented by Russian anti-Jewish uh, propagandists about 1902. And it was picked up by the Nazi party. Uh, Hitler uh, incorporated its uh, theories into his Mein Kampf. Uh, the Nazis had it republished as a children's book. It was uh, published on the Nazi newspaper, Der Stürmer. It was a theory that is exactly like what QAnon is putting forth, that there is a cabal of Jews in that case that are trying to take over the world. They kidnap children, they slaughter, they eat them to gain power from their blood. Uh, they control high positions in government, banks, international finance, the news media, and the church. They want to disarm the police. They promote homosexuality and pedophilia. They plan to mongrelize the white race. This is exactly the narrative that QAnon is putting forth. So when I saw this, I said, this is Nazism. 
it, it, it's very reading how you do describe the parallels, the sort of repurposing of the blood libel. You know, it's it's you're right. It's very much the same thing. And I wonder if you could. And unfortunately, we're running out of time here at the end of my show. But can you explain to us how, I guess, mainstream people fall for this? Well, it's very hard to believe, of course, that an ordinary person would fall for this. But what people don't understand is that uh, in groups, uh, people aren't always rational. Uh, when people are in difficult times, as we are right now in the United States, uh, they will fall for conspiracy theories. They will follow after uh, narcissistic demagogues who they think will save them. That's what QAnon thinks mm -hmm. President Trump is going to do, just as the Germans thought that Hitler was going to do. Uh, so what we have here is a uh, use of a conspiracy theory to explain the crises that we now are in. So, Jaron, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about the blood libel aspect in particular and how that relates to QAnon? Sure. So, I mean, for, for blood libel specifically, I'll cover blood libel and adrenochrome because they're, they're kind of one and the same when we're talking about this weird ritual that Q has uh, concocted in his canon here. But <clears throat> I think one of the central things to understand, first of all, is uh, like, obviously, the question is, why the Jews? Why does this always come up for Jewish people? And the answer is that aside from it being religion, it is to an extent an ethnicity, um, not purely, you have to understand, but there is an ethnic component of this because Jews do tend to stay within their own communities, marry within their own communities, etc. So it is not like Christianity. It is not like Islam in this way. There is an ethnic component, and that's why it has been subject to ethnic cleansing so many times. But as far as blood libels concerned, here's the deal. Basically, Jews did do, a lot of Jewish sects uh, in ancient times did do animal sacrifice. It was called korban. And in the societies that they were within, be it the Roman Empire or ancient Greece or wherever, um, this could come off in a lot of weird ways to people. And this is compounded too with there are pagans throughout all these periods of time that also do ritualistic sacrifices. So seeing these small sort of endemic groups committing, uh, you know, animal sacrifices or burning of animals or whatever, that can be off-putting to someone that's not used to that particular culture. Think about it in today's times when we look at like how meat is procured in Asia. That can be pretty unsettling to someone from the West. But does that mean that it's necessarily something that we should be persecuting? That's a much tougher question. But moving on into like the actual history of it, because of the way that Jews operate, either our villages and stuff would be sequestered by choice or sequestered on purpose. So, i.e. in the Roman Empire, we were only allowed to settle in certain places. We could only take on certain jobs. And even when Christianity was made the legal religion of the state, they still allowed Jews to exist because it was not just a religion, it was an ethnicity. And of course, this fostered resentment in the Roman Empire for people who didn't want to be Christian. Maybe they were forced to convert. Why did the Jewish guy get to keep their religion? A lot of these things alienated the Jews from both sides, from the establishment side and from the countercultural side, because on one hand, we're immune to things, and on the other hand, we're persecuted and shoved into these sort of back alleys of society. This applied in Greece, this applied in Rome, and even though our kashrut dietary laws prevent us from consuming blood, a lot of times these 
the witnesses to animal sacrifice would blow this out of proportion and say, oh, they're drinking the blood, i.e., oh, they're a pagan cult, or they worship Moloch, or they worship the devil, or whatever the fuck. Now, there's a lot of static in here. A lot of different regions had different perceptions of the Jews. But I think where this really started to solidify was actually during the Crusades, where they were forcing confessions from Jewish people. So not only were they trying to get Jews to convert, but they would say, you know, while you're up on a rack being tortured, did you consume this child? Did you drink their blood? And they will not take no for an answer. They won't even kill you until you give the answer that they want, which is yes. Out of this, there was one particular case that got very famous where a Spanish child disappeared. And of course, they blamed the Jewish community saying, oh, they took him for his blood. And they murdered a shitload of Jews over it. And then, boom, the kid comes out of the woods and he's fine. And that was sort of a, a big part of where a lot of this ended up being distilled from was the removal of Jews from Western Europe to Eastern Europe in what was called the Pale of Settlement. Mm-hmm. Jews got so immensely unpopular in Western Europe that they all went to, you know, Romania, Russia, Lithuania, um, Estonia, all these places where my ancestors came from. So that's kind of where blood libel got distilled from. The protocols was like the big kitten caboodle of that going into like mainstream anti-Semitism. Up until then, it was just regional variations on the same theme. Now, here's the weird part. And then I'll be done with this lecture here. But this is the weird part. And this pisses me off to no end is I've talked with some QAnon people online and I'll be like, you should check. You know, I'm trying to help them because I'm a moron. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I'll say like, you know, you should check out this book on this subject because it might help you understand this better. And they'll be like, I read books. I'll be like, "Okay, what book can you recommend? And they'll recommend dystopian fiction. They'll be like, have you read Aldous Huxley? And I'll be like, oh, my fucking God. What the hell? Like, yeah, in like eighth grade. But yes, it's a good <laughs> book. But I'm talking about reference material. Yeah. Um, there's a part of the QAnon thing and the adrenochrome thing in particular comes back to dystopian fiction, which sucks because I love dystopian fiction. But to mm-hmm. them, you know, we do research before we come on the podcast or just because we're fucking interested in it. This is their research. The adrenochrome thing came First off, it is a real compound. It's, it's uh, when adrenaline becomes oxidized in the bloodstream. So it is a real thing, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have any kind of properties like what these morons are saying. The reason that they think that is because, I'm going to check my notes and make sure I don't fuck this up here, but The Doors of Perception, 1954 by Aldous Huxley, he alludes to its use. Anthony Burgess did the same thing in Clockwork Orange, calling it Drenchrome. And then, of course, the thing that sent it through the roof was Hunter Thompson, who I also love, mentioning it in um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And then, of course, when Terry Gilliam made the movie, he asked Hunter if that was a real experience. And Hunter was like, no, you can't trip off of that. But it still remained in the canon that it's, it's a powerful, rejuvenating drug that also has psychoactive properties. And this got kind of melded into the blood libel thing. But the it's just all pop culture references. Like, it's, yeah, yep, nothing more. Speculation and pop culture references just attached at the hip like the grossest Siamese twin you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but that's more or less where all this came from is vague anti-Semitism distilled by the protocols introduced in Nazi Germany and then compounded on dystopian fiction. I mean, that's crazy. And it's just like, while you were saying that, the one question in my mind is like, 
and you know, I'm springing this on you out of nowhere, so I don't blame you if you don't have a, an answer off the top of your head for it. But like, what is the tie between this and being right wing? Like, I understand that these guys they find fascism, and I understand that it has the historical ties to fascism, like the anti-Semitism and like they idolize Hitler, or whatever. And is it really just that simple? Like they find fascism and then because fascism has only taken place in the sense that it has been anti-Semitic. Like that's the historical example that we have. So is it just that they found like, you know, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about how these people are obviously disillusioned by capitalism. So they're seeking some kind of hidden knowledge. And I guess the first thing they grab onto because they think that fascism is the thing that's being suppressed because, you know, for a good reason, it somewhat is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which is always, you know, a side note, hilarious to me, because if anything is really being suppressed and demonized, it's communism. You know, the greatest story never told. I know that that pops up on like the far right spaces a lot. And yeah. it's basically just this whole story that makes Hitler seem like the oppressed good guy in a country dominated by evil Jewish influence, like the cabal, literally. So they're obviously mistaking, like I said, this suppression for hidden knowledge that is somehow truthful, but uncomfortable to people in, in the established order. Go ahead, Cosper. I was just going to say the movie you're referencing is Triumph of the Will. Well, there's that. But if you Google real quick, the greatest story never told, it's that and like the culture of critique are two things that like experienced neo-Nazis telling all these young, impressionable incel boys about the good part of Hitler or whatever. Yeah, it has a 7.5 on IMDb. That's a movie? Oh my God. Yeah. It's a six hour documentary. Yeah. Well, I think there's... This isn't going to explain it fully, but this is just my like knee jerk to that question because it's it's a really good one. And I think part of it, I want to wretch as I'm saying this, but the key to that, the answer to that question is humanizing the Nazi. We can't imagine that Germany just all of a sudden imploded upon minorities. That's not true. That's not how it happened. It happened because of things like the Treaty of Versailles imposing extremely predatory neoliberal economics upon Germany, alienating the middle class. The middle class was not terribly educated in the way that they could have been to combat this on the front end of it. And I'm, I'm not saying that these actions are excusable at all, but I am saying that there's a direct lineage. People don't just snap as a country like that. There was a definite reason for it. And for quote unquote good reason, they were like, there are people outside of Germany taking away German wealth, which was true. The only thing was it wasn't Jews, it was Wall Street. But Mm -hmm. they were correct in asserting that like, yes, there are foreign entities at play here that are taking advantage of the German people. And Hitler was able to latch onto that much in the way Donald Trump was able to latch onto the failing middle class here and blame somebody like Mexican. It's completely the same tactic. It does not change. In fact, I would even go so far as to say America is the one that fucking invented it. Hitler read books about how we got rid of the quote unquote native problem. He based his shit off of us. So to me, I guess the answer to the question that you're asking is like, because we've talked about this a lot this episode or a couple episodes. When we're looking at our enemies at their core, at their human basis, they are us. What made them go down that road? With Germany, it was economics pure and simple. Mm -hmm. And then that resulted in tragedy. And even regarding my Jewish upbringing, the last thing I'll say is this is not something I was taught. I was taught the evils of the Nazi. I had to learn for myself what made that monster. We are told to just think of them as pure evil, distilled. We're not taught to think of them as people. Because even as I'm saying this, I bet listeners are disturbed that I put that sentence together. They Mm -hmm. should be. But like, that's the only way to really understand it. 
No, that's a good point. And actually think what I'm trying to get at, and I was just kind of beating around the bush because I was, you know, thinking of it as I was saying it, but like, I kind of touch on it a little bit and what I'm going to say at the end of the episode tonight, but I also feel like there's a big difference between online sentiment and in real life. Obviously, in real life, most people have a generally anti-communist sentiment in as much as they limitedly understand what communism ever was or is currently. And it's because of indoctrination from Cold War and Red Scare propaganda. But also, I feel like the current online atmosphere is very much influenced by big business, obviously, because they control every aspect of the infrastructure, and also by U.S. intelligence that we already know plays a big part in shifting and manufacturing consent online. So I think that definitely pushes things further right online than it may really be in your everyday interactions. But also, I feel like we should add a topic to the list to do an episode in the future on the history of anti-Semitism in America. Because I feel like we know a lot and we spend a lot of time talking about it in Europe. We could talk a little more about the history of anti-Semitism here, because obviously it's, the country is far right. It's a very hyper-capitalist country, so anti-Semitism will go right along with that. We should probably just put that on the list and talk about that in the future. I would love to. And the, the only other thing that I'll say, and this is the even more of a controversial point, is you know the thing about, and this is not about anti-Semitism to me. This is about prejudice as a whole. It could be Jews, it could be Blacks, it could be Latinos, it could be anybody. It could be Romani people. Um, it could yeah. be, no, I mean, I only mentioned it because we're talking about the protocols and tying that to Cuba. Yeah, 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 for sure. But I think, you know, one of the things that we have to consider when we are looking at these prejudices that exist in the right wing is, you know, even amongst leftist spaces, we do have to be cautious because there are empirical facts that like, of course, I support Palestinian liberation. But who's one of the people that is spreading one of these blood libel and adrenochrome myths is Hamas. Hamas spreads that around. So I support Palestinian liberation, but I also I see these people who are still pushing this around because they hate Israel, which I understand. So it's so complicated. Even Joseph Stalin, who is a very big name in these spaces, he was not anti-Semitic. However, upon the creation of the state of Israel, he started to look at Jews a little differently. Um, he oh, didn't no. come down on them with the hammer. But he was, he started to approach the way that Jews were thought of in Soviet society as, well, any of them that are defecting to Israel are Western agents. If there was an interest to go back to Israel, they're Western agents. And, you know, maybe that was true in some cases. In other cases, maybe they were just legitimately looking for a safe place to go. There's just so many shades of gray to this. It's very, very tough to look at and combat. But I think that this is part of why QAnon pisses me off, is it is so vague yet specific Mm -hmm. and ultimately point and shades of gray as well yeah okay so maybe stalin did one thing wrong (laughs) (laughs) i mean look i'm not a fan of israel how israel came to be so like that's my point of contention um yeah but yeah anyway i've talked enough about jews just real quick i want to say it's funny to me especially you know in my interactions with fascists online when i get into uh flame wars with them. I do like to point out that most of them weren't even white a hundred years ago. The guys you're talking to like would not be considered white back when like fascism was springing up in the first place. Like if you were Irish, if you were Italian, if you were anything other than like what we call a wasp, you were not white. You were just another immigrant like anybody else. And you would have been lumped in with all the other degenerates. So like, I don't know, it's funny to me that they will also call everybody else cucks when they're just cucking themselves to an ideology that wouldn't even have accepted them a century ago. So is that, uh, does that stand for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? Yeah, exactly. Sorry okay. for anybody who's not familiar. A, a was a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I had a good guess. Okay, good. No, that's a good guess. 
All right, cool. So that sheds some light on the protocols and, you know, more specifically how it ties into QAnon. If you are online and you've heard anybody talk about doing your own research or trusting the process or any of the QAnon stuff that you've heard, and they will inevitably relate it to the Democrats being these evil, green and Trump sucking, child abusing, any of the, the myths about Hillary Clinton or whatever. So hopefully that sheds a little more light on that. But uh, let me hand it off to Blaine. So now you have, from what I understand, some notes just about cults in general. We can talk about how QAnon is definitely operated like a cult. Yeah. And then maybe we can maybe we can derive a little bit about how we could talk to these people and maybe deprogram these people who have been brainwashed into the Q cult. Let me take it away, Blaine. So I have, gosh, I kind of organize my thoughts because I love cults. They're so interesting. I don't love them in the sense of I want to be in one, but they are fascinating. So I guess one that really strikes me as interesting is the FLDS. And I think there's a really, really good parallel here, especially if you are familiar with who Warren Jeffs is. He's basically like the prophet of one of many sects of FLDS. There are many, many shoot-offs because everyone thinks that they're the prophet or that they're the voice of God, right? And a lot of these sects of FLDS churches, it becomes like a lineage. So if a father has a son, the son then becomes the prophet. Real quick, what does uh, FLDS stand for? Oh, right. I'm assuming Uh, Latter-day Saints? Yes, fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. Oh, okay, so the even more fun kind. Yeah. I didn't know there was a different kind. (laughs) So the FLDS, there's a really good book that explains this whole thing. It is a wild read from start to finish. It's called Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. I hope I'm saying his name right. But it talks about the history of Mormonism. If any listeners don't really know anything about Mormonism, it was founded here in the U.S. in the 1800s by a guy named Joseph Smith. If you have seen the musical, The Book of Mormon, it's a very satirical, true thing about how it it's happened. It's really good. Kinda. It's hilarious. It's Even the um, South Park episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> like They had to like keep putting it on the screen like, yes, this is still a true story. Literally. <laughs> Um, Yeah, Joseph Smith, more or less, began speaking to an angel by using divination stones, putting them in a hat and literally sticking his face into the hat to block out all the light. And supposedly he was granted all these visions from the angel. So he began giving sermons to very small groups of people. More and more people began to follow him. And eventually he started having more and more visions that led to more and more extreme beliefs. And one of the last and very extreme beliefs was polygamy. And the thing with the FLDS is it's not just the polygamy. It's the fact that modern day, modern being especially noticeable within like the last hundred years, they take child brides specifically. And a lot of them are related or, you know, if you have, yeah, if you have, say your father is married to someone If your father dies and you're the son, a lot of times they'll take the bride of the father or more than one bride. Yeah. That explains the resurgence in like step parent or whatever porn that's (laughs) becoming so popular. (laughs) So, I mean, that explains it. It's confusing. Um, And to be fair, when Joseph Smith first ushered this idea in, it splintered the Latter-day Saints pretty dramatically. A lot of them were like, whoa, no. No, no, no. We're not supposed to be polygamists. No. So that's a splinter. Very similar, in a sense, to Q. One of the other things that was very notable about Warren Jeffs specifically is he knew exactly what he was doing. He is the current 
Stoffit. I forget the name of the exact church that he was head of, but he went to prison. He is sitting in prison. Originally, he went to prison for rape as accomplice, but it was overturned by the Utah Supreme Court. And then he ended up getting convicted of two charges of sexual assault against a child. So he is now spending life in prison in Utah. Um, yeah. Was that before or after he forecasted that he was going to go to prison? So that's the thing. He knew what he was doing was wrong and illegal here in the U.S. He knew the feds were going to come for him. So what he did then, knowing that he was going to go down, is he told his followers, hey, I'm going to go down. And when I do, just know that it's a test of God. And this is supposed to happen because I am a prophet. I am supposed to be tested. So whether or not it happened or not, they would either, one, still have their leader if he was not taken to jail, or two, he's taken to jail. And yeah, he's now just like a martyr prophet because what he said came true. And they totally believe it. They still believe him to this day. They still follow him to this day. His wives are still married to him. And he, he has a lot. And a lot of them were as young as 13, 14. Jesus. Yes. But yeah, amazing book, Under the Banner of Heaven. It's a little, a little out of date. I think it was published in 2003. Amazing read. Um, another cult that I think we can kind of look at and learn a lot from, I guess my point with Warren Jeffs was more so that QAnon, especially centering around the election, right? Mm-hmm. It was prophesized whether or not Trump won or not. They always had an answer regardless of what was going to happen. And they seem to just kind of create new answers every time another situation occurs, including the inauguration. Whether or not Biden was actually arrested or not, it wouldn't matter to them. So I think that's it would be interesting to, if you got a hold of some QAnonists, ask them what they think of the Mormon church, obviously some very devout Christians, uh, you know, the big believers in Jesus, ask them what they think of these people marrying literal children and maybe even dozens of them at a time. Like how do they square that circle? You know, again, I think that's probably the liberal in me going back to like trying to confront these idiots with the hypocrisy that it's never going to work. I don't know why I even bother even saying it, but you know, <laughs> it's just still funny. Aren't they also, is it FLDS that's running the the welfare scheme with all the kids and shit? Yeah. So in that book, in the 2003 book, they did point out the fact that, and this is a very, very big belief of FLDS, is that we as Gentiles, which is what they call people who are non-believers, we should be extorted for all the money. So should our government and everything like that. Any bit of money that they can get from the government, they will try to get. Hmm. That's why the women are encouraged to get pregnant as frequently as possible, have as many kids as possible because they receive welfare checks. They receive one city in particular that was a FLDS settlement in, I want to say it was Arizona, was receiving millions in grants from these single moms because polygamy is not recognized here in the US. So because of that, only one wife is recognized as a mother, a married mother. The rest are all single moms. Welfare queens. <laughs> Literally. I mean, like. Fuck you, Thatcher. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if Q people want to go after all these people who are child sex traffickers and stuff like that, maybe go for the FLDS. <laughs> Would you have Cosper? I just wanted to point out this motherfucker looks like the white Steve Urkel and he has over 87 <laughs> wives. Oh, wait, how many? What's 87. Warren Jeffs. Uh, Warren Jeffs has over 87 <laughs> wives, 50 <laughs> children, 
And so Jesus Christ. God. You are not wrong. Holy shit. That sounds yeah. more like Stefan Arkell. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Colin. <laughs> Dude, I love that Colin like pipes up like once in a while and then he's got just like after after every recording, he tells me all the jokes that he fucking sat on and they're so good, it pisses me off. They're so good. Don't do that, dude. I know. I was like, just just interrupt everyone. He's like, I don't know, I don't want to interrupt anyone. I'm like, no, your jokes are so I'll have I'll have something everyone will be talking, I'll be broom with something, and then Allison will talk about Something really dark, and I'm like, okay, well, the time has <laughs> Well, I mean, with the magic of editing, you can just pop it in whenever you want, and I'll just move it. I know. <laughs> uh, it'll sound better if you're just like, but, anyways, back to what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, once in a while we need some comic relief after talking about, you know, myths of Heavy Jews sucking blood out of children. We can do yeah. that. Yeah, that was a downer. Yeah, Bukaki of the Holy Spirit had me rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is making me feel so good. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <sighs> so that that is FLDS, and I think Warren Jeffs kind of reminds me of Q in a weird way of like, yeah, prophet who is right no matter what the outcome is. This other cult is also pretty notable, I would say, Heaven's Gate, which I know we kind of touched on last episode. This is going to be silly. So Heaven's Gate was formed in the 70s near San Diego, headed by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Interestingly, and I think this kind of speaks to the mindset of a lot of Americans, but I would say especially people who found themselves in this cult, the best-selling books at the time, we'll just kind of wide sweep time, 70s, was a book called Chariots of the Gods by Eric Van Dyneken. And if mm-hmm. anyone knows what that book is, does anyone know what that book is? For listeners who don't know, it's a book that talks about the world's ancient history and how these mysterious creations like the pyramids and shit are all proof of aliens. Ancient um, aliens, bro. Ancient aliens, yeah. yeah. So if you've seen that show, Eric Van Dyneken is on that fucking show. I watched <laughs> that course, show last year. <laughs> it's a trip. Okay, yeah. Eric Van Dyneken was one of the best-selling books of the 70s. Who wants to guess what the other bestseller book of that kind of era was in nature? Sin and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Ooh. That's actually a pretty good book. Probably a really good No, book. I like that book, too. Let's <laughs> say, are we hating, or is that canceled now? No, I, I love that book. I just, I I'm just throwing book. that out there. I can take a guess, though. Something Christian. Oh, how did you know? Mein oh, Kampf? Oh, <laughs> <Turner> Diaries? <laughs> oh. <laughs> the Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, which is an interpretation of the Bible to describe end of the world, doomsday, revelation-type shit shocking which heaven's gate was kind of this culmination of both kind of like QAnon. they have these really fucking weird spacey way the fuck out there where the hell did you come up with this kind of shit and yet you know they're very like i fight for jesus i fight for god this is our country kind of thing you know fuck the satanic deep state and all that Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah. So it's really, really interesting that those ideologies kind of meet right there with Q and with something like Heaven's Gate. Now, if anyone's familiar with Heaven's Gate, actually, most of them did get out. Only 30 something, 40 something ended up committing suicide. I said only. That's actually a lot. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> um, well, compared to like Jonestown. Whew, yeah. yeah. That's a Yikes. whole other one. Yeah. So I don't know. I really like what Jaron was saying about humanizing the enemy or like these people that are in cults. It's hard to do, right? Because it's infuriating talking to these people. There is sometimes no getting through. And I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but one of the most important things, and if you are listening and you know someone who is in the Q cult, it is really important that they have a landing pad for when they get out. This is very, very difficult because I would imagine it's probably a lot like leaving an abusive relationship when that is the most dangerous time for you. You're alone. Mm. You have no one who's there for you. I would imagine it is probably likely for people to go right back in. Um, So to kind of humanize them is somewhat important. Do I think it's going anywhere? Some of them probably will stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Some of them probably won't. It will probably morph into something new because, I mean, as we've discussed thus far, a lot of these ideas are not new. So for those who do get out, it's important for them to have a landing pad and a base of people who will listen to them. And even though I know we sit here and we talk shit and we laugh at them and it is too easy and too fun, but it is important for them to have people who are willing to talk this thing out with them and help them come back to reality. Yeah. On a weird note, during that time, like during like heaven's gate, there's Mm -hmm. so many cults popping up all the time Mm -hmm. that culty programming became like a career for people where they would just go in and kidnap people. Like families would pay culty programmers who would go in and kidnap their daughter or son, bring them to like a hotel and like meet with the family and then like go back. It was like a whole fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, see real quick. What did you have, Casper? And then I want to go with you, Jaron. I just wanted to touch back on Heaven's Gate and mention the fact that they had people who were left behind in order to run the website after everyone killed themselves. (laughs) I don't know if y'all knew that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We got to leave behind the web dev. That website is so, like, old... Or angel hair website. Yeah, that, oh, that shit. God. It rules. What are you talking? Like again, I'm gonna sit here. I'll def- I'll die on my fucking hill to have an escape, have, being the most aesthetically pleasing cult ever. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I mean, honestly, the lights behind me tonight are inspired through from the colors of Heavenscape. <laughs> yeah. Like unironically, yeah. we are talking about a time period where like serial killers and cults were almost at their climax during uh, like American culture as well. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Jaren. Sorry. I mean, Cosper just led me into what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the 70s were a clusterfuck of cults and violence, and I just can't help but wonder if that had something to do with stagflation and... Um, Operation Midnight Climax? Yeah, Operation Midnight Climax. Um, but no, I think that was a good point. You know, the era of the 70s being a time of really increased economic desperation. So, of course, cults are going to be prominent and just take a new foothold in the culture. I mean, one thing that I've been saying for the last four years is that it's really disappointing to me, like liberals being disappointing. Surprise, surprise. But the fact that people on the supposed left in America, like Democrats and liberals, have failed to even recognize the Q movement until recently, like until they literally stormed the fucking Capitol building and tried to kill some politicians. 
they failed to even recognize that this was the problem that it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let alone try to address it. Because it's comfortable for them. That's why they ignore everything. That's why, yeah, the Black Lives Matter protests this summer, like, how did you just start paying attention this summer? Yet there were so many of them that were just like, mm-hmm. I can't believe this is happening. Really? Because it's been happening for fucking centuries. So how do you not know that this is happening? They're just, ugh, I'm getting drunk and I am yelling at liberals. You can tell. <laughs> no, I feel like, oh, yeah. I feel like I say every other episode that the only solution to this is literal re-education camps. Like I don't see anything other than literal cult deprogramming facilities to get Trumpers out of the mold that they've fallen into. I mean, so far, we're just following to a T the blueprint of fascism. Like, you lock up Hitler for a few years after his failed attempt at a coup, and then he comes back in a few years and seizes power. Like, if anything, the failed impeachment or the failure to convict him for impeachment. I mean, are any of us surprised? Is a single one of you surprised? Did any of you expect any other outcome? Like, Yeah, seeing friends that are shocked about that and like, I can't believe it. We need to hold these people that didn't vote to impeach them accountable. No, you're not going to stop it. Like, it's so sad to watch these people just not fucking get it over and over again. Just like, yeah. just get it. Just like, stop drinking the fucking Kool-Aid. Yeah, what country are you living in that you're surprised by this? So, hold yeah. on, I just want to... Cosper, you had something while I was talking about re-education camps being necessary. And then, Jaron, you were also raising your hand while I was talking about liberals failing to recognize any of this. So let me go with Cosper first, and then we'll go with Jaron. No, Jaron, go ahead and we can edit this out and post. But exactly what you're talking about is the inadequacy for people to realize this event while it was occurring and only actualize it retroactively is the problem that I've wrote for Cosper's Corner tonight, basically. Fantastic. So I, I was just going to say it leads in good. Perfect, then, because the only thing I was going to mention, I don't know how much more you have on Colt, but I'm done. Well, this is the last thing I'll say is and this is weird to say because I am definitely lib left, but there's a certain point where it's like, OK, we need to shut this shit down. And, you know, the Branch Davidians are another good example of this because and that was Waco, Texas, for anybody that doesn't remember when Janet. Yeah, David Koresh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, look, I rocked Waco fucking crazy guy stockpiling guns, teaching everybody to use them, uh, brainwashing everybody. Nobody steps in because of freedom of speech or freedom of religion or what the fuck ever, as if any of those things are being practiced in a way that's good for humanity behind those doors, until finally it boils over to the point where we can't control the outcome and a bunch of people die. That was completely preventable had it been killed in the cradle instead of waiting for it to manifest, just like this QAnon shit where it's like an online joke for four fucking years until we get to the point where they storm the Capitol and make America look like the bitch that it is. Um, (laughs) And it really could have gone much worse. I know I said this last episode, but like literally if Trump had managed to make better friends in the Pentagon, he would be president right now, possibly forever. I don't know if you had something on Branch Davidians you'd want to add, but that was just my piece. I mean, the only thing I would like to point out about Waco was eventually it did lead to Timothy McVeigh and the bombing of Oklahoma City. He basically saw, yeah, he was basically inspired by what happened there in some weird way where, yeah, he saw the government do something really fucked up, which is not wrong. They did. They grossly mishandled that whole thing. And he decided to bomb a government building, which I do think there is a very real looming threat of lone wolves from QAnon. I personally do believe that that is a possibility for sure, especially during a splinter. 
because there is no uniformity here anymore. Everyone is just kind of every man for themselves, as is typical in this country for that type of ideology. So, yeah, that is a very valid one to bring up. I can't even believe I didn't think of Waco. Well, I didn't think of that insight. So, yeah. How dare you? We're balancing. <laughs> I mean, Jaron, when I misheard you and I didn't realize that you lived in Asheville and I thought you lived in Nashville, I was worried like Christmas I Day that like, something might have happened to you. Well, in Asheville, there is a cult that is currently active. We got one. <laughs> Don't judge me. Um, there is a cult that is currently active right now called the Word of Faith Fellowship. Very, very scary cult. So, yeah, you know, it was a scary time. All right. So that being said, let's uh, get into Cosper's segment of the night. So Cosper's going to tell us a little bit about his ideological take. If there's a Zizekian take on the whole night, it'll be this. Let's see what you got, Cosper. Yeah, I guess what I have to say is really just some thoughts. Like, I'm not really that concerned of Q anymore. It's not like a threat that's current and so on. And I'll, I'll get into that shortly, I assure you. I mean, I know we're dunking on QAnon, but... It's like Jaron said earlier, and I'll hearken, and like everyone else has said typically, is like, I really want to stress how redundant dunking on these people really is, because the real aim and targets for our criticism should be those in power. Like, it's obviously fun to trash on these people and stuff and et cetera, but there should be an acknowledgement with that within this criticism is that you're just doing it for yourself, really, and you're not challenging any real power play here. And by focusing on these people and saying we're so much better than them or whatever, you kind of almost fall into the same trap that we often see liberals fall into. You know, of having a new laughing stock you can point out and ridicule and boast your intellectual superiority in a comparison or something. Like, for a long time, it was like Westboro Baptist Church for them, and then, what, MAGA oh, and yeah. You know, it's like... I forgot about typically... those guys. Like, they've just completely fallen off the radar. Like, yeah. that was the biggest thing for liberals to dunk on for the longest time. There's another oh. cult. <laughs> yeah, liberals make fun of everyone and act like they're so funny for doing it, and then whenever it does become a threat, they're like, what? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. And that's just the other thing that I'll point out here is that the one thing that I'm, like, so weary of is, like, it's amazing to acknowledge these people, but I think that we must step outside of ourselves and recognize the bubbles that they exist in and the bubbles that we exist in and so on. But this aim in itself should, I don't think, ever be at attacking people. Rather, I think it should be aiming towards the ideological loopholes that are being jumped through here or the real power at play in the system. And another thing I wanted to acknowledge is how we're approaching this in retrospect. Which, don't confuse me, I, I really do think it's a good thing to focus on and learn about events and so on, but I think where my attention is at now is what's to follow or what's to come. The point is not to just interpret the world around you, but I think it's to actively change it. In order to do that, you have to be intertwined with the event in itself. And I think that's the thing about events. They retroactively necessitate themselves. Or another way of putting that is that after something has happened, there's no other way it could have been. So lesson always becomes to me is trying to intermingle yourself with the event while it's happening in a way that there's some semblance of change or influence you can have on the outcome. And I think this logic makes itself almost self-evident. But the reason that I'm stressing the importance of this is that we should be as aware as we can within the current climate that we're enveloped in and take every opportunity to analyze and intervene and influence the contradiction of the time. And the reason I say contradiction is because I think QAnon is a good example of contradiction within the ideological framework that we're currently consumed by. You know, like we were talking earlier about these cults and violence sprees that were happening during the 70s. Sort of a similar thing is happening again, where we're very confused with the time we're living in. But the current branch of this Q event may be dead, but that's not to say another branch can't sprout from the one that we've seen climax during the Capitol riots. 
However, while this event may have reached its climax, does not bring the implication that these people who participated are just going to go away or fall out of existence. I think now we carry more than ever the burden of preventing something of this nature from happening again and again. But really, the trouble becomes that we've found ourselves almost in the same fertile grounds that gave rise to this particular Q event, where a lot of these people were brainwashed during the Obama era with extravagant tales of a Muslim man who'd come to turn America into a communist hellhole. And now oh, we're looking right... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but now we're looking right down the gun of this racist, lazy, off-brand white Obama, Joe Biden. <laughs> and there's already been so many conspiracy theories around him and his family, ranging from Hunter Biden's computer bullshit to Joe being in the pocket of G. So it's hard to tell what these people will latch on to. <laughs> Again, I wish. <laughs> you know, right? Sometimes the, uh, the right wing spin on what these people are are kind of what I want them to be, but sadly they can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah but made, so there's an Obama sound like Thomas Sankara. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I am yeah. loving this reading on Biden. Like, God damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Read. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really hard to tell what these people latch on to from here and help. I mean, there may already be a new branch sprouting out as we speak, and I think more than anything, it's our job to sniff it out and intervene, like I was saying prior, as soon as we can, and never be retroactively discovering events that have happened within our own lifetime, but to be constantly intermingled with the event in itself to prevent or influence the outcome, as it may be. And that's about what I had tonight is that these things have been happening for a long time. Like I said last week, started on 4chan and progressed to 8kun. It's about being in the event as long as you're alive with the event. No, that's really good. You brought up a couple of things that I think would be really interesting for us to talk about. You started out talking about just like how fun it is, obviously, to dunk on these cute people. And it made me think of the way that most people interact with politics nowadays. And everybody take a drink because I'm going to recommend another podcast. But... Matt Chrisman from Chapo, his stream where he just kind of goes off the cuff and talks about whatever he's going to talk about. But one of his latest things that I really liked was he was talking about exactly that, how all of our relation to politics right now is purely emotional. And he, even, I think, can use the term libidinal. And he was saying that basically, like, what we're all doing is we're just getting ourselves off by dunking on people online. We all know that we have no influence on politics. We have no control over the situation that controls every aspect of our lives. So the best we can do is dunk on people that we don't like, argue with them online and get in some good owns and complain to the manager. That's basically how we're all interacting with politics right now is we're complaining to the manager who is not fucking listening. Everybody is on Twitter, on Facebook, they're posting statuses, they're posting updates about this thing that like some horrible politician has done. You know, Texas is clamoring for government funds after saying they wanted to secede a couple months ago. And we're all just complaining to the manager saying like, Oh, let's do that. Let's do this. And none of it ever gets done because no one is fucking listening. No one is reading your replies. No one is reading your tweets who has any power to change anything. So you're all just like spitting it out there into the void for no fucking reason other than your emotional satisfaction. So I think you make a really good point saying that that is completely inadequate. It's not changing anything. And that's really what we need to be doing is looking to the next step and looking to how to create alternate systems of power and take direct action to enact some of the changes that we want to see. So anybody else can weigh in on that if they want to. I mean, as long as we're on the subject of parallels and stuff between QAnon and Nazi Germany and where is it going from here and, you know, just sort of the conclusion of the episode, I think that it's worth noting it is no surprise that the legislature was targeted. And part of the danger that you're describing, Mike, is directly related to the legislature in particular. 
The Reichstag was the first thing to burn. That was the seminal event before the Weimar Republic fell and Nazi Germany became a thing. They targeted the legislature because power could be consolidated to the executive. And the thing is, it's like, you know, I spent a lot of time shitting on Congress people and talking about how useless Congress is because it is fucking true. They're completely useless. And this impeachment thing, you know, it's just another feather in that cap. And the fact that people like us didn't even expect it to be different tells you a lot. But the thing is, is as much as I hate Congress, the idea of it dissolving or the idea of it being taken over or taken out is actually pretty terrifying because that is how the executive branch consolidates power historically. That's always how it works. They take out parliament. They take out the legislature. They take out representation. That's the House of Representation, quote unquote. Whether or not it works, more to sort of Cosper's territory, whether or not it works as far as representation, the symbology is important. And if that symbology is wholly and voluntarily removed, by Trumpers or QAnoners or whatever the fuck comes next, that is a people's admission of, we don't want representation. We want an executive branch that's just going to fuck everyone the way that we want them to fuck everyone. Yeah, because that's what politics is about. It's not about getting what you actually want. It's about hurting the people that you want to hurt. Because again, it's all just this emotional, libidinal satisfaction. But what you said reminds me of that Carl Schmidt quote where he's talking about how liberals will just convene delegations and committees until the boots are in the halls because they have zero ability to confront fascism as it's springing up right in front of their eyes. Uh, but what did you have, Cosmer? Rather or not, these things function more so as a real machine that actually creates good outcomes for people is somewhat irrelevant to the signifier they hold within the common ideological sense of if someone like QAnon actually did take over Congress or it fell, what have you, that's actually a huge thing as far as like how we conceive power operating in the country, you know, it, like you're saying with these symbols that we recognize, you know, you look at a Congress person, you say that's someone in power and you replace that with someone who's wearing a fucking Buffalo hat. It, things get a little shaky automatically. And the second thing I wanted to say though, was that another, I'll recommend a podcast for Christ's sake. Y'all check out <laughs> QAnon Q- Anonymous is an um, outstanding source for all things Q. Already been done. Hell Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I will say that their last episode that I listened to before we recorded tonight, um, they had Liv, I can't remember her last name, who just basically did a real good philosophical breakdown about Julius Evola, uh, the concept of super fascism. And it was a real philosophical and also psychological breakdown of the mindset of these people who want on a subconscious level to be ruled over so badly that they adopt this philosophy that obviously makes no sense on its face, but then you find them cheering on things like the military coup in Myanmar. They have no idea what the ideological bent is behind that or what the party lines are. They just know that they support the military taking over a government because they think that that's what they want here. I highly recommend anybody listen to it because she went on for about 30, 40 minutes and I posted it in the group chat among us and I was like, this is what I wish we had said on one of our QAnon episodes because it was such a good breakdown of the concepts behind it that I feel like it's something everybody should hear at least once. Uh, what did you have, Cosper? I have not listened to that one yet, but I do see absolutely the grounds at which it sounds like it's pushing of this prevalent alienation within capitalism or basically, especially during the pandemic of how it reached a rampant rate to where you're alienated from your own sense of individuality, attempting to grasp onto some cult. And that's really what cults generally get their power from, is a loss of an individual sense and the inability to capture your desire. It leads you to kind of become a part of a whole. 
And that becomes your individuality to some of these people for some reason. That was the only thing I was going to add on to that. Yeah, I know. I mean, that actually falls right in line with it. It's funny that you say that because especially that you, since you didn't listen to it, but it's like exactly what she was saying about how these people feel so alienated and so powerless that they want somebody to come in and dominate them so badly that they are willing to put that figure onto someone who obviously doesn't possess it, who obviously doesn't portray that. Somebody like Donald Trump, who they will bend over backwards to make it seem like he's some competent guy playing 4D chess, when it's obviously he's just bumbling over everything and just pure id and ego. He's just operating on this level of, I just don't want to look bad in this particular situation in any given time, so I'll just say whatever comes to my mind, and they will just find any way they can to meld the pieces together. Let me go with you, Jaron, and then back to you, Cosper. This is just purely speculative, but I feel like in terms of QAnon and different cults and individuality and things like that, and I mean, I'm open to anybody's thoughts on this, but to me, I feel like there is this sort of intellectual disenfranchisement of people that has really made itself prevalent, especially with COVID, where it's like, okay, you know, you're an individual, you have individualism. What is that? Is it really the ability to choose between 12 different brands of toothpaste? Is it the ability to be able to drive my car to the mall and buy shit? It's like, yeah, you, you have individuality, but only within the parameters of consumerism. You know, we can choose our style. We can choose our products. We can choose our groceries. And that's all well and good. And even if you go on conservative safe spaces, they're like, oh, well, you know, under communism, we wouldn't have fucking Nike and Reebok and, you know, market competition and blah, blah, blah. Like they're so obsessed with this that if you do go deeper and say, okay, well, who are you? It's really hard to format some of that when you've spent your entire life emboldened by consumerism. And I think that coronavirus and COVID and these lockdowns has just taken all of that existential dread and just congealed it into a nice tight ball that has fueled QAnon. I know it was around before that, Mm -hmm. but I think that, yeah, the existential dread of who am I and what the fuck am I doing and where is this all going? You know, you're faced with it immediately when you can't go to the mall, you can't go to the theater, you can't really drive around and meet people to do stuff. All of the benefits, quote unquote, of capitalism, just poof, gone, just because you're in lockdown. And that's all it took. And I know a lot of people on like Reddit's uh, Q slash, is it recovery with a Q? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people on there admit to like, okay, they're, you know, they're coming out of the QAnon thing. They're like, I really started paying attention when lockdown started. Yeah. You know, so I think there was like a Q vanguard, but then there's a lot of people on, you know, just the coronavirus that just started latching onto this because they're bored and they don't know who the fuck they are. And it's sad. Yeah. I do think at one point in time, one Q drop was that there was this huge idea that there was going to be a mass pandemic. Obviously. Right. That would force major metropolitan areas to shut down. But that's not that crazy of a thought. I mean, a lot of virologists were predicting as much from just meat consumption in general. Like it's, it's not that unfathomable. So when it finally happened, they were like, ha, you know, this is it. This is the the event. They Warren Jeffed it. It's going to rain eventually. Yeah, don't attribute too much credit to QAnon because that could have easily been satisfied by another listeria outbreak or something in the spinach or the lettuce, you know, that could have just as easily satisfied that prediction. So it's not like we can really say that they were that prophetic. No, exactly. Or like H1N1. That was a pretty prevalent one at one point in time. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's not like Q's the only one that predicted it. Correct. It's been predicted for a while. 
for a very long time. Yeah. And the dude wrote a whole book on it. Yeah. Oh, so Bill Gates was predicting it, which actually yeah. added more fuel to QAnon because they hate Bill Gates so much. But he was, him and his foundation had been predicting a pandemic and preparing for it for a very long time. So then when it actually did happen, that just added more fuel to the, you know, the QAnon fire. But what did you have, Cosper? I had a couple of things. If you're talking about like that need for uh, there to be someone to dominate, really. In Lacanian psychoanalysis, we call that the big other. So it's basically where this loss of oneself really opens individuals to being ruled and governed by whoever. This can take the form of God, this can take the form of yourself, or in this case, it can take the form of Q+, being Donald Trump. Oh, I love that so much. I love that there's a word for it. I always call just conservatives in general, like the least fun subs in the world. (laughs) Because they are, they love to be submissive and they love to be dominated. So yeah, I'm so glad that there's a word for what was like swirling around in my head. It's very validating. Also like, I like least Least fun fun subs. They are, (laughs) they are at least like BDSM subs that recognize that they're a sub are very usually very fun to be around but like conservatives don't understand that they are subs so they're not fun to be around and they fucking push it off on everyone else too exactly that's the thing that's my gripe is that usually subs are also set the parameters of like the boundaries but they never do that and i hate republicans for that not even being a good sub on top of that yeah and their doms are not good doms either exactly i don't like it i I mean while blaine was talking about the uh FLDS, I was thinking a lot about how conservatives can be so far right and so traditional, like so into the trad lifestyle, but then also get into something like as cool as polygamy, but do it in like the least cool way possible where they got to bring children into it and really keep these women submissive. It's like, you were going to be so cool and then you had to make it shitty. Like You all have a good time, but instead you fucking ruined it. Yeah, let me be very clear. I have no problem with polyamory at all. But you almost had a cool polycule, but you had to fuck it up, like with your patriarchy and your bullshit. Like, (laughs) yeah, that need to be dominated and like or need to dominate fits perfectly in with the hierarchical mindset that is inherent to the right, though. Yeah. Yeah. Lobsters, brother. Um, So the other thing that I had written down while Cosper was talking, I think you make a good point about talking about the preparing for the morphing of QAnon. And that's something that I actually wanted to get into just to close up the episode. And I think that's something we can all think about coming out of this is what do we think that QAnon is going to look like going forward? Because we know it's not just going to go away. It's not going to die with like a whimper. It's going to something is going to happen. There's going to be more violent episodes. There's going to be more lone wolf domestic terror attacks. So what does everyone's take? We can just go around the table and talk about what people think about what form it's going to take going forward and how we can best prepare ourselves. And if there's anything that we can do or say to people to try and pull them out of it, I still think that cult deprogramming techniques are probably the thing that need to be done. And it needs to be done on a mass scale. I think the entire Trump voter base that now wants to start the Patriot Party, like the 64% of Republicans, you know, I, again, speaking of just getting emotional satisfaction about engaging with politics online, but I was talking to some liberal on Reddit the other day and they were saying, oh, isn't it fantastic? Like 64% of uh, Trump voters say that they now want to start a third party. The uh, Republican Party is like imploding. I'm like, really? You think that's imploding? Can you think of a liberal or any vaguely left politician that 64% of Democrats would unite behind to start a third party? Because I can't think of any. If anything, it sounds like to me like they're solidifying and balkanizing behind someone that they really stand behind, which is not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for the country. Like, I don't know. I just... It doesn't seem like it's going to be a good turn of events. 
I mean, unless you're you're rooting for the death of America, which you know, kind of. Um. <laughs> Not in the way that we want, though. Um, no. Yeah, I think the common saying about cults is that like there's usually one event that it turns a lot of people away from it or it turns the people away from it that would have been turned away from it. And then the people that are in are fully in. I know that's a depressing generalization to make, but they're in it for life. And so, yeah, whenever the Capitol riots happened, I was like, yep, this is their moment. So the people that are in are in. And I know that there are like deprogramming programs. Uh, (laughs) I didn't want to use the word program. Uh, So, and I know that it's relatively quick whenever I read about deprogramming that they say that it like is actually easier than you would think it would be. But are they going to be deprogrammed? I don't know. Like if you're in after the Capitol riots, I just see Q becoming something a lot bigger. And I think the Democrats fucking up so monumentally. I mean, the Democrats fuck up so much. Like the past couple of years, especially, it's like they just can't listen to their constituents. And it's, it's yeah. so embarrassing to watch. Like everybody, I mean, everybody be like, hey, Medicare for all is a good idea. And like, if you don't believe that, you're not a progressive party because we're the only developed nation that's not doing it. Even mm-hmm. conservative parties and developed nations would never turn away from Medicare for all. They're not that stupid. Yeah. So so seeing the Democrats fuck up so monumentally, especially with Biden, which no one's surprised. I mean, everyone knew Biden was going, he, he's a conservative. Like he's a- He's a yeah. neoliberal. He's a neoliberal, yeah, that like gets away with sexually assaulting women and the liberals are just like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Did you see Kamala? Yeah, girl boss. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, like watching them fuck up so bad is such a bad sign to me and something that I hope if any liberals listen to this podcast, you know, if there's like one, if there's one liberal listening to this podcast who's like questioning your beliefs, like spread it around to your liberal friends that like this is a bad sign. The Democrats doing this and going back on all the progressive ideas that they said they were going to do is a huge red fucking flag for us like that means that more and more people are going to be disillusioned with the democrats and not know where to put that energy or not have the tools to put that energy to like a more leftist movement and yeah QAnon could morph into something else that is a lot worse and yeah i i always look to nazi germany whenever i think about trump and QAnon and it's not over. Like the people that are celebrating when Biden won, it's not over. And the Democrats consistently going back on their word and fucking everyone over and not giving a shit about the working class is just going to make Q get stronger or the people that believe in Q get stronger and morph into something so much worse. It just, we're getting desensitized to how bad it's getting because four years ago, all of the shit that's happening now, no one would believe it's happening. And now it's happening. So what's going to happen four years from now when the Democrats keep consistently fucking up? Yeah. Well said. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, 100%. It really was. Like, I mean, Biden's been in office for less than a month and he's already, you know, reneged on the $2,000 checks. They didn't leave him accountable for anything. He's already not only not closed the, the camps for all the children, but he's reopened overflow facilities, you know, overflow facilities. Renaming so them? Yeah. Nobody's falling for it anymore. Like nobody, less and less people are falling for it. It's really only like boomers, like my mom, God bless her, that are (laughs) still behind him. 
and it, nobody's fucking falling for it anymore. So if we're, if the left is all falling apart and I, the Democrats aren't left, but like if people who think they're left are all falling apart and actually moving left, like what the fuck's going to happen? It, it just, to me, I have a grim view of what's going to happen. And it's because of fucking liberals. Like they just make the wrong move at every fucking turn and it drives me crazy and it's going to ruin our, our beautiful country. No, I mean, you're dead. and it's something that we harp on probably too much on this podcast, but just trying to get people to realize that this is not an accident. This is not because the Dems are incompetent. It's intentional. It's because they are a center right party and they will always falter or at least make the, what do you call it? Professional wrestling fake out of, uh, what they'll do you call it? it? The, they'll sell that shit. Yeah, they'll sell it, you know, falling to the fake hit to the Republicans because they want to give into that to begin with. It's much more convenient for them to be out of power and to fundraise off of being the underdog than it is to actually try to get something done for the working class, which they don't want to do because it would, it would hurt the people that line their pockets. Um, But go ahead, Jaren. I think that this touches on exactly why I was saying that we have to humanize the enemy here a little bit. And in this case, I'm not referring to the QAnon Nazi rejects, but referring to, to liberals because the thing is, is, yeah, they've been taught that Nazi Germany's bad and they've been taught enough to see like, OK, you know, Trump could be kind of a dictatoresque kind of entity here. But they weren't taught enough about where that came from and why the seminal factors that created fascism historically, not just in Germany, but anytime it's cropped up. They know enough to decry it when it's happening or after it's happened, like Cosper was saying, but not enough to see what we've been seeing, like during the Obama administration, I saw this coming. I saw this coming and I told my friends and family and they thought I was fucking nuts, not you. For, for like a second, I did. <laughs> As your it was, partner, I, yeah, I was wrong. It was a different time. I was so wrong. <laughs> my point is like, no one reads about like the Treaty of Versailles. No one reads about like Hindenburg's failed government. Nobody reads about the fallout from World War I, like the boring parts in between the world yeah. wars and what led up to the second one. And that's why when I'm looking at Obama bailing out the banks, when Bush is bailing out the banks, when the military industrial complex is booming, when Wall Street is getting all this money, I'm like, this is going to end in fascism. Like I can yeah. already see it. And the thing is, is if you want to get a hold of these Q fucking nut jobs, Okay, let's talk about Bill Gates. You want to talk about Bill Gates? Fuck the vaccine. Fuck your stupid conspiracy theory. Here's the real tea, people. Donald Trump tanked agriculture so badly that we had to nationalize it, and then Bill Gates bought it. That's the conspiracy, yeah. is Bill Gates owns American agriculture now. There's your fucking Bill Gates conspiracy. conspiracy. It's true. It's mm-hmm. true. It's just not the dumb shit you said. Just going to go ahead and add in that the Nazis invented privatization of national industry. They invented that shit. And they sold it to Wall Street. America yeah. financed. I'm going to get heavy and you guys can totally make jokes even though I'm getting heavy. <laughs> Wall Street financed the genocide of my ancestors. Straight up. No, I mean, dude, we've, we've talked about it before on this yeah. podcast. They 100% did. Like, it's not even a hidden, it's not hidden knowledge. It's an open secret. It's right there for anybody mm-hmm. who wants to actually just Google it. Wall Street absolutely financed the Holocaust in every way. That's my take. Next. just piggybacking off of what jaron said about how or again how what everybody's saying but specifically what i heard jaron say was just like gold to me of this attempt to like 
We learn about the Nazis, we learn about all these evil people, but we only learn about the evilness of them and not the actuality of them in a sense. So they almost become these disfigured objects that are throwaways of like, yeah, that could never happen here. Bullshit, you know, Nazi happened in Germany. You know, it's like that podcast you recommend. It it can happen here, right? Anything can happen under the right circumstances. So while it is important to point out the evil facilities and attitudes of someone like who is a QAnoner or a far-right extremist, there is also the deep necessity to recognize the human aspect of this person and what led them to these conclusions as well, lest you not treat them as just some instance of pure evil. It's kind of like Caitlin said earlier about Richard Ramirez. So often typecasted as an instance of pure evil. No, he's not. He's a human that went through these things of making decisions to understand these things. And if we go on typecasting him as just this amalgamation of evil and dark spirits, satanic, whatever, you fail to stop the next Richard Ramirez. Yeah, I mean, Richard Ramirez was a a sociopath, which they're, they're hard to humanize because they don't have human emotions. But the thing is, Richard Ramirez was turned into a sociopath by having a horrible childhood, like just being treated terribly so yeah having no resources because you have a shitty government that doesn't give a shit about you is what creates richard ramirez is so yeah mm-hmm. i also just wanted to say real quick just like i was saying in the last episode about how you will never be able to identify before it happens the socialist revolution i think that holds true for fascism as well you know we can have all our correlations to nazi germany or italy or japan or any of the places that turned fascist the last time that that happened but we really aren't going to know what it's going to look like in the future until it happens or maybe even until after it's happened so it's just something to think about you know i mean we, we can identify the themes all day long and i feel like we're pretty on track with q when it comes to identifying mm-hmm. as fascist but at the same time there could very well be another version of it or another iteration of q and what it morphs into in the future that we just haven't been able to predict yet but let me hand it off to Jaren and Blaine because I know Jane or um sorry Jane, Blaine and Jaren had a lot of stuff. Oh my god, that's your so. couple name. Oh, <laughs> it's like Benefer. I don't know. I might be long winded. No, go for it. Go for it. Okay. I guess what I was going to say, at least in regards to like what we were talking about just a little while ago about the relationship Jaren and I have, I was very much still clinging to the smallest semblance of what I grew up with of being a conservative Christian. Because I had the support landing pad that Jaron has given me since we've known each other, which was teenagers. He gave me a safe space and a support group to where I could start really exploring the world for myself, which I've never experienced. And it led me to very unexpected places. I think he and I even though we see eye to eye on a lot, there's still some things that we both just kind of veer off on and not necessarily like in a disagreeing kind of way. It's just that I have one area of interest, he has another. And because of the support he has given me, it really led me to figure out my path for my own, especially like the path to information, right? And like what my purpose is existing within this capitalist society and what my life will look like doing that. So Because of that, it did lead me to places that he did not necessarily follow exactly, but he understood where I was coming from with it and agreed with it. It led me to becoming very heavily involved with the Satanic Temple and super identifying with things like that, especially because it was literally, literally the antithesis of what I grew up with. It's not that I believe in the literal devil. I believe in the power over science and logic over anything. You must take 
care to uphold these ideas and not distort those facts. Or yeah, we are all fallible human beings. We are going to fuck up. And if you do, it's your job to rectify it as best as you can and acknowledge when you have fucked up. But more than anything, it taught me what it was like to be humanized coming from a place of, I guess, in a sense of jadedness, because I was very jaded in my faith, for sure. And because of that, I have read books I never thought I would read. I definitely think more for myself, which is not anything that I was ever raised to do as a woman in Christianity. And it's, it's helped me grow and read just endless amounts of information, whether it's useless or not. But I think that is why I do value humanizing people who are currently in the Q cult. There is this potential for them to come out and they could be very, very critical thinkers. And that's, that's important. Like kind of like what you were saying, Caitlin, how you were like, they could be getting usurped into the right because liberals kind of sit in this stupid mid area. Mm -hmm. If they have the support group, they could kind of find the way on their own terms to the left. Because I do think that is kind of the thing. This country is caught in this really weird pendulum swing and it keeps going. But what happens when you stop that pendulum? What happens when you're not even in the pendulum swing? What happens when you're not on those bookends on the bookshelf? What if you're on another bookshelf entirely? What does that bookshelf look like? And I think that's kind of one of the beautiful things about the true left is it is this kind of fluidity, undiscovered kind of thing, because here, right is very defined. So I don't know. That's my only take. Well, it's being able to have a safe space to recover from something that is, you know, traumatic. And I didn't even realize I was doing that for you at the time. And like, even the thing is, is it's paid back in full, at least for our relationship, because you're the one that introduced me to abolition, which led me to anarchy. But in any case, I guess my final point that I'd make about QAnon is there's this perception that I've learned to have of societies where it's an organism. It's not something intangible. It is just as much a physical organism as a human being, but it's larger. It ages slower. It takes a while to see the effects of stimulus upon it. And I think that with that in mind, 2008 was the turning point where I understood that we would become an overt fascist state. The reason being is because 2008 was the signal to everyone that the Reagan-Thatcher model of liberal democracy had failed. And it had failed everyone globally. It shut down the entire global economy for five minutes. That's insane. But also that we were going to continue doing it regardless. Correct. Correct. But the thing is, is again, just in terms of symbology, it shook faith amongst the global populace in liberal democracy. It made this whole thing about the elite cabal and the elites don't care about you. Every little ember of that turned into a flame because yeah. of 2008 all over the world. You can even look at it at Xi Jinping in China. Him taking the helm in China, whether you believe it's good or bad, is due in part to loss in faith of America and of the UK. They gave it to him on a silver platter because of their hubris and greed. And what we're seeing now, imagine that America is an organism. Finally, we're seeing the effects of the 2008 stimulus upon the organism. And I don't know how that's going to mutate, but I think that, you know, just passing it up is like, oh, this started with Donald Trump or, oh, this started with this or that. You know, we could take 2008 and look even further back to banking deregulations in the 80s. 
it's this string that's long as fuck. And that's why it's so hard to irk out where it started or ended or anything like that. And it's also why it's really hard to argue with these people. It's like, where do I even begin to make you understand? They don't even know where the basis of their own ideology and argument comes from. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was really glad that we did a series, like a four part fucking series on Reagan and Thatcher, <laughs> just to set the groundwork for all of this. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the reason why out of all the ideas that we had for like t-shirts and shit, we chose Reagan and Satan because uh, we, we could just, we can just keep coming back to that every fucking episode because he laid the it groundwork the for this in America, just like Thatcher laid the groundwork for all of this over in the UK. Like we are living in the world that these people created, these fucking monsters created for us. Uh, but go ahead, Cosper. Uh, what I was going to say was something like you were saying, Jaren, it's a long, a very long string to start to interpret, right? And one thing I'll plug Hegel since we're taking shots, you know, uh, a, a misinterpretation here from Hegel typically if people have is that to understand something is to understand the very root or core beginning. That's what a lot of people kind of perceive Hegel to be this end of history type of guy. But no, there's really this understanding that you can perceive history at whatever point you jump into it at. We can perceive the events of right now if we just look at the Obama era. It doesn't take that much per se. It just requires an understanding specifically of how events interact with each other. That's dialectics. Another shot. (laughs) (laughs) Quadrilectics. Yeah, quadrilectics, right. No, I think you're getting onto a, a very good point, though. To understand these things, I think that we can perceive the next event. That's what I was hearkening on a little bit in my Cosper corner is that while it may be very difficult or strenuous to perceive what may come next, there's a great possibility of doing such with enough inspection. I think that it's possible being the Hegelian that I am. So I guess just to try to tie this all together, and I think, you know, we've all kind of touched on a lot of these themes throughout the last few episodes, but I think we've come to the conclusions that the best way to reach these people is in real life. And that the online sphere is obviously dominated by the Q cult. And we can debate whether that's intentional because it's some kind of intelligence psyop, or if it's just the effect of being on an internet that is run by big business. You're only going to get a message that is convenient to big business. You're not going to see an anti-Zuckerberg message on the Zuckerberg internet, you know what I mean? Or an anti-Google message on the Google machine. Like, it's just not how it's going to work. And even if you are able to reach people online, the Q people are going to go back to their Q echo chambers. There's plenty of them still around, and they're going to revert back to that because, again, this is cult behavior. What I'm getting at is, yeah, the most effective way to reach these people is in real life. If you want to change their minds, you're going to have to build trust with them. You're going to have to show them that, you know, we as leftists are the good guys. There is zero chance that these people have ever met any member of the cabal or any of the adrenochrome sucking elite because they don't fucking exist. So again, you're already at an advantage when you talk to these people in real life because they've never met anything that could give them any kind of evidence to their wild batshit theories. So if anything, it's more likely that you're going to be able to show them that a leftist or a communist or any of the people that they're so scared of are not these monsters that they think they are. You know, it's much more likely that you'll be able to build the trust with these people and show them, I'm a nice person, I've been nice to you, I've helped you out when you were in a time of need before, and I'm a communist. And that's what a communist actually is. And I think we should use that to our advantage. Like, that's something that you should be actively doing in your real life. I mean, fuck yeah. Any chance I get to tell someone I'm a communist, I jump on it. After they know you, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm never, like, coming out of the gate, like, you know, I... <laughs> fucking free healthcare, baby? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, you gotta build a repertoire, or it's like... Yeah, it's a cool guy, whatever. And then, you know, yeah, my politics are good as well. I feel like that's okay. 
Oh, I'm just straightforward. Like, I'm Ward. I like communism and true crime. (laughs) (laughs) Are those two topics you guys would like to discuss? All right. So then real quick, let me just finish up the last of what I was going to say here. The second prong of what I was saying before about why we should look more towards real life interactions rather than online. The other side of that is that you should take some hope from that. If you are a leftist and you are dismayed by the interactions that you have with people online, you find how many outright or even crypto fascists that there are that you're interacting with. You should realize that, like, again, this comes back to the tendency of the right to project the way that they call us all a bunch of LARPers and say that we're ineffective and we, we're not getting anything done. It's like, that's obviously not the case, because if you go out in real life, it's very rare that you meet anybody who really is a fascist or who's even sympathetic to the fascist kind of mindset. More often, you meet people who are amenable to the idea of Medicare for all, who agree with the ideas of Black Lives Matter, even if they still will say things like Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization because they're buying into the idea that they burned down a bunch of cities that they obviously didn't. And so when it comes to it, you can really find that people are more amenable to progressive ideas. So you should take heart from that and realize that we do outnumber the fascists. Even if people don't realize that they are communists, they most likely are because they're going to agree with those ideas if you present them in the right way. And like I said, building trust before you just outright talk about Stalin or something like that, you know, something that's not going to be so. Yeah, I uh, usually try and keep that under wraps when I'm sober, but when I'm drunk, it's like a whole different (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But again, don't mistake me. Like I'm not telling anybody to log off because I realize that that is an impossibility. And not only that, but it would be incredibly hypocritical for me who spends all day online to tell people to log off. So don't mistake that. But I just, I want people to realize that the internet is a big manufactured consent machine. That's what it does. It is there to make you think that you are inadequate, that you are a worker who is an individual with no power whatsoever, and is controlled just like every other type of media by the very wealthy. And it intentionally gives you that impression that you're outnumbered. And it's just not the case. So just remember that and try to take that into your interactions with people on a daily basis and Try to build that worker solidarity. Get back to our IWW episode. Engage with people on that level of workers. Start from there. You know, you have to realize that everyone is feeling just as alienated and powerless as you are and try to reach them on that level. That's how I wanted to wrap it up. I know that's a weird thing to tie into like Q, but thank you. Based. No, completely well said. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. We'll do the plugs. So of course, again, we are going to plug Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner and VHS Action Rewind. You guys have anything else you want to plug? Oh, okay. So coming up, stay tuned because while we're bored in pseudo quarantine, kind of quarantine, we're quarantining. Be on the lookout for a Steely Dan podcast where we go through our favorite Steely Dan songs. It's going to be called. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. It's going to be called Steely Fans. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to go through all of our phase, pretty much their whole discography. So it'll be going for the rest of our lives. But, yeah, we're both. Uh, do one episode called and the Beers. <laughs> <laughs> Where we just get, like, trashed and scream yeah, about I know. And, I, like, I know everybody, a lot of people love them. It's like dad rock. But I just still feel like they're way underrated. And we've got to get the word out about Steely Dan. So we've got a podcast about conspiracy theories. We're going to have a podcast about Steely Dan. We talk about action movies. So we're fully formed into two uh, boomer dads. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's that's our life now. Well, here's the hoping that you guys get at least a couple boomer dads to turn communist. I mean, it might happen. Yeah, yeah. It happen. I feel like my dad could be turned communist. I just need, yeah, we need, you know, a weekend in the woods. Just camping and some mushrooms. Be, yeah, some mushrooms, and he's going to be full, full communist. 
please have me on for like a Steely Dan episode at some point. If Absolutely. Kind of yeah, I, yeah. Like, also, I'll just say now before I like get on another tangent and forget, anyone who has like a, a conspiracy theory that they love or just one that they made up for like our homebrews, let me know. And you're always welcome on the podcast. We always need people. So yeah. Based. Cool. All right, Jaron, you guys, you want to plug your website? Sure. Uh, so first off, thank you to everyone that donated to the raffle. Uh, it's concluding tomorrow. We raised almost $400. So thank you guys so much. And I'm going to plug my website, jaronperlman.com, J-A-R-O-N-P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com. You can buy both of my books. And my third one is coming out this year uh, called Heart of the Anarchist. Hell yeah. Blaine, would you like to plug anything? Sure. I would like to plug the book Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. And I would also like to plug the podcast Heaven's Gate, hosted by Glenn Washington. Really fucking solid listen. Ten episodes, very concise. If you want to kind of see the inside of a cult, as well as hear it from someone who is very, very empathetic towards people who find themselves in a cult, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Sounds good. Ward, do you want to go ahead and plug your Instagram? Uh, yeah, so my main account is uh, Ward Lolly, W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y. Uh, my backup is Millennial Leftist. And I had a new plug. I wanted to plug the Central Indiana Crime Stoppers. You know, yeah. uh, I think people should, yes. don- think people should donate to them, uh, especially since this past weekend was like the four-year anniversary of the deaths of Abby and Libby in Delphi, Indiana. Yep. And still unsolved. Those but yeah, are the I think a lot murders, of people, right? Yeah, the Monon High Bridge in Delphi. Yeah, rough case. Yeah, and it sticks with me because it happened on my birthday, and so I Ooh. felt like I really should plug that. They take public donations; they don't get any funding from the federal government, but they help solve a lot of crimes. And so, thought it could be a good one for this week. Cool. Thank you for doing that. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, Cosper had to bounce. We recorded like an hour hour and a half longer than we would expect to tonight. So Cosper had to go and do some <laughs> stuff. But uh, for Cosper, I'll plug his Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Cosper, C-O-S-P-E-R underscore. It's Cosper, not Casper. And for Sterling, since he's not with us tonight, I will plug the Twitter. That's Twitter slash turn leftist pod. And then for everything else related to us, just check out the link tree. That's link tree slash turn leftist. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram slash turn leftist one three one two and find our discord and any of the other relevant links. Like I said, through our link tree. Pick up a Reagan is Satan t-shirt while you're at it. Oh, we actually just placed a new order. We're going to get another uh, 40 of those in a better quality level of t-shirt as well. So I'm happy to uh, say that. How much are those t-shirts? Because I really want one. They're 25. Okay, cool. Man, my dad has a don't tread on me hat that he always wears around <laughs> us. And I cannot wait to go visit them and wear a Reagan is Satan t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> a secondary line of t-shirts Satan is better than Reagan t-shirts <laughs> I mean that was literally the entire premise behind it was to just piss off a bunch of conservatives in the grocery no, store no it's an amazing out troll it's, so, it's good. so good so. yeah who designed who designed that because it's very pretty it looks very good Sterling knows a guy oh, and we paid him to design our Scott. logo yeah you know him Scott Freese yeah ATL, huh? Yeah, no, it looks it looks incredible. It's so well done. I love it so much. He did such a great job. He not only did the the Reagan of Satan, but also um, the logo for our podcast. Just whenever you see us with our Turn Leftist podcast logo, Hmm. he did that as well. So he did a great job for us. We're super appreciative. 
And then also just a little preview with the next design that we have coming out is we're going to have them do a uh, trickle down economics, but it's going to be like a billionaire's head rolling down some stairs. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, I can't wait oh, for that one too. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. I know, right? That's some trickle I can get by. <laughs> trickle on me. Um, but anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, everybody who's listening, I thank you so much for doing so. And please tell a friend if you can, if you think that you know anybody who would find this just as funny as you do. And uh, that's about it. That's all I got. All right. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining us. And thanks everyone for listening. And we will see you guys next time. Okay. Goodbye. It was so nice meeting everyone. Bye. What a blast. Nice meeting Y'all everyone too. too. Bye. Bye. See you next time.